Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 rolls on. David Reed's the chairman of the board of this show. Oh, Sixth yes, and Peabody, is. our location. I'm about to hear from Reed. But not before you hear from us. It is time for primary complaint. And guys, I kick it off today with uh, just another example of the, the NFL benefits from players' celebrations and then they benefit from the fines that they then will uh, reap after the fact. So going back to Wild Card Weekend, this was uh, Tom Pelissero tweeted this out. So Tyreek Hill scores a touchdown Wild Card Weekend and celebrates by going and grabbing the uh, cheerleaders' pom poms, okay, and celebrates with a dance. No flag was thrown. He was fined twelve thousand dollars after the fact. But here's the thing that bugs me and that that I think is completely. Uh, out of line by the National Football League. The celebration is replayed and is on promos for the NFL Network and for their Twitter and social media accounts. They turn around and publicize it because they love it, and then they find them so that you know media members don't cry that you know they're they're not following guidelines. They they find them twelve thousand dollars for uh, using a prop, but that prop is what you're going to use to prop up the next week's game. That's my primary complaint. So there's a saying about people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. I'm going to extend that. People with glass restaurants should not be displaying a moldy corn dog. And that's what I saw in Gatlinburg this weekend, (laughs) walking down the strip in Gatlinburg. A concession stand, (laughs) fully open to the public, glass everywhere. You can see them cooking the food right there from the street. And on display, hanging right up there for you to buy, a pair of moldy corn dogs. Look, I understand that you know behind the scenes, the back of a, a restaurant kitchen, there might be some gross things that take place. There might be some moldy things that could be sitting out or right there on display in the trash can. But that's where it should be on display, in the trash can. If you were going to be so bold as to open up your entire kitchen for the world and all of Gatlinburg, Tennessee to see, do not put a moldy corn dog on display. This is my primary complaint. There will be no Fanny Farkle discussion on this show. Making Reed I, I hungry. That, I will eat that corn dog every day of the week, <laughs> twice on Sundays. How about it? Uh, big event uh, this past Friday for me. WWE SmackDown at Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. Big crowd was there. Got there early, wanted to partake in some concessions, not any corn dogs because the corn dogs there are quite <laughs> terrible, actually. And compared to what's going on in Gatlinburg. But we did decide that, you know, we were going to eat, get the nephew's drinks and everything. Got the drinks, only to be find out that after we paid the exorbitant amount for these drinks, that there's a policy that we can't have the caps for these drinks because somewhere along the way, someone decided to throw a bottle in a ring. Look, let the rest of us be adults because just as I predicted, five minutes after handing an eight-year-old a bottle of Powerade that costs $7. And then also, if you're sitting on the main floor, 
Shout out to Jeff Jarrett. Thank you for that. Sitting on the main floor, you have to then pour it into a cup. Five minutes later, that cup is spilled over and there's $7 Powerade everywhere. Let the rest of us act like an adult. If someone wants to throw a water bottle at a 300-pound man, you let that 300-pound man deal with that, and that will be the end of that, and you won't need that policy. But until then, that's my primary complaint. Not all rites of passage have to stay in place forever. But my primary complaint's about one that's disappearing or has been reduced to a level of painlessness that I find unsatisfactory. The SATs I saw in the news yesterday, only 80%, uh, uh, 80% of schools aren't asking for them anymore, but kids still take them to give, give these colleges a, an extra data point. But it's not a three-hour test anymore. It's just a two-hour test. You take it on a computer, no more filling out the bubbles with your pencil. And for that difficult math part, you can use a calculator. It sucks. SATs were a painful rite of passage for me and for so many. And I'll be the old guy who says, kids today, you go take the SATs like a man or a woman. I don't like this development at all. Take them. Suffer through them, fret over your number, then go take them again. I, I would actually prefer using the pencil and, you know, figuring well, out the answer. Pencil well, guy. I, I saw this and number two. Th- they were saying how most kids want to be tested that way. They want to take the SAT or the ACT just to see how they stack up. I just, uh, look, that's a, that's a big moment when you get your SAT scores. But also you could get your scores back in, uh, in a couple days. I never took the SAT. Well, I was ACT, ACT. ACT only. Look, yeah. I mean, it's a Southern version for lesser people. That's fine. Oh, oh, lesser people are from you, the would, South. Would you like to share your Please, SAT go number? On, go on the record. 1170. Well, I don't record. know what that means. And and all is sitting at the same okay. table these well, Southern enough. people yeah. are sitting at. <laughs> yeah. And he's living in Nashville, Tennessee and working for Outkick.com and Outkick 360. That's right. The lesser people. Yeah. Lesser people. I didn't score well on them either, but I suffered through it like, you suffered through ACT. Same difference. I had to take it twice. I didn't suffer. I took right it twice. Sale. I probably took it three times. I took it twice and got the exact same score both times. We'll suffer through uh, Paul Koharski for the rest of this show. Outkick 360 rolls on. Headlines next. Prepared the same amount, too. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, we welcome you to Nashville. Outkick 360 rolls on on this Wednesday edition Hour number two is here. Coming up in 20 minutes, Dan Dockich from Don't At Me with Dan Dockich across the Outkick Network. He'll be with us. We always hit a variety of topics with Dan. We'll hit some college football. Chris Mack uh, negotiating uh, the buyout that will end his tenure, his short tenure at Louisville. We'll get into details of that, get Dan's opinion. Plus, we'll get his thoughts on the upcoming matchups in the National Football League for the AFC and NFC Championship game. Chris Mack, by the way, has confirmed he's out at Louisville. The meeting starts right now with the Board of Regents at Louisville at 3 o'clock Central Time, 4 o'clock Eastern to make it official. Uh, But he has told some in media that, uh, yes, he is done as the head coach at Louisville. And we'll talk with Dan Dockich about it, who I'm sure will have plenty of thoughts about it. He had a lot of thoughts about Penny Hardaway being the worst coach in all of college basketball on yesterday's show that I saw that was pretty strong. And I'll ask him about that as well. Can't wait for that. Can't wait for these games this weekend. Um, AFC, NFC Championship. We've got Kansas City taking on Cincinnati. And then, of course, the NFC West matchup for the third time as uh, I mean, both of these matchups we've recently seen. 
uh, as little as three weeks ago for both of them. We'll see L.A. and San Francisco battle at SoFi Stadium. Let's start in the AFC. Chiefs and Bengals just getting the outlook on this Wednesday as we prepare uh, for a normal game week, practice day number one. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is how Cincinnati won the first matchup. And going back and looking at notes from that week, they trailed by 14 points three different times in that game. They had Burrow step up, and he threw for about 450 yards. And by the way, we also saw Josh Allen just step up and throw for a boatload of yards against that Kansas City secondary. And Jamar Chase was unstoppable. Uh, Both times when they got down double digits early, Burrow went to Chase, and Chase turned on the Jets. Can they do it again? Because Cincinnati beat them by a field goal, 34-31, and we certainly know what playoff Mahomes is like, and that's a bar that Burrow's going to have to reach. But they have a coach that's willing to gamble. You've got to do that against Kansas City, win or lose, and he'll be crushed uh, nationally if he does something crazy in the red zone uh, instead of taking points. But you just can't take three points. Uh, even in the first quarter, Buffalo didn't do that, and they were on the cusp of winning that game if Allen has the ball last. Mahomes did, and they won. How, how, do, how does Zach Taylor, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase repeat the performance that they had where they got a, a turnover or two, and they turned that into a game where it propelled them into winning the AFC North? You know, uh, Jamar Chase, who you're right, went off in that first matchup against the Chiefs, really fascinates me as a player because he really plays like a running back. In fact, he was a running back at one point at LSU. And uh, I watched that screen pass that went for a big play against the Titans. And you just watch the physicality and the way he plays, the way he runs, even the way his lower body looks. He looks like a running back. You know what it reminds me of? But he's not as fast as Tyreek Hill, who's also a receiver who plays like a running back. Uh, the way he plays the game. I know they're not matched up together, but it does uh, sort of fascinate me to watch those two play because their tendencies, their style, very different from a lot of receivers around the league. And I'm with you on this, Hutton. Uh, A field goal is a loss against the Chiefs. If you get down a long field goal, I understand. You know, fourth and 12, and you want to kick a 52-yarder, and you've got Evan McPherson, who's red hot, take the three points and do that. When you get down... Inside the 15, inside the 10, can't settle for field goals. you got to go for it. You don't get it. You pin them deep. You give them the length of the field to go offensively. But you've got to go for fourth downs when you get in the red zone. I wonder you know, if there's potential that we see the same kind of shootout we saw last week if Burrow can be Allen-like. Uh, we saw last week, I mean, he wasn't lighting it up, but he was reacting to bad things very well. Um, and... This, this last game head-to-head with the, with the Chiefs, like you said, came back from 14 down, came back from 14 down, came back from 14 down. Um, to me, the biggest pressure point in this game after, after the Chiefs have several days to look at that offensive line collapsing under the Titans' pressure is to say, how did Chris Jones and Frank Clark get back there the way the Titans did, plus their interior guys, get back there the way the Titans did, and not just sack him, but do what the Titans were lamenting they weren't able to do, stacking on top of that, sack him and strip him. Yeah. Or, and that's or the, turn that thing into turnovers. Uh, and if they can turn that happening. thing into turnovers, which you would think 
they were very fortunate that he got uh, taken down nine times, hit all those extra times, and that they didn't turn the ball over but for that one time, which was a fluky play, right? A ball that, that the receiver tipped into the air and Amani Hooker plucked off the ground catch. just a split second before it would have been uh, incompletion. If Kansas City can force turnovers in this game, you know, it's going to it's gonna sway the, the teeter-totter here. If not, I think the Bengals can be right in it if Burrow plays as Burrow has played down the stretch in this season. And I think they're too easily written off. Well, the, the, the second question was going to be how many times did they sack Burrow because the number could be extremely high. The yeah. Titans really sacked him 11 times last yeah. week. And uh, two of them did not count because of a timeout and a delay of game where the whistle came after the play. Burrow still took those hits and still went down. Um, so that, that, that's a key. But the other part of this is Joe Mixon needs to be a bigger part of this game plan yeah, he wasn't anything last than week. what he did um, what he did against Kansas City the first go-around. And, he, and what he did last week. I mean, he was 7-for-7 seven seven at the half against the Titans. Yeah, but what do they do in that opening drive? They, they, opening drive of the second half, Joe Mixon has a touchdown run yeah. that sets this game uh, on fire for Cincy. They, they've got to have that Mixon moment. Mixon, Mixon's longest run against Kansas City late in December was, or maybe in early January, was um, for 11 yards, 11 or 13 yards, and it came in the first quarter. He's got to be in like the top six or seven biggest plays for Cincinnati on a big run. I think if they do that, they can get that offense humming a bit. They, their scoring drives were where they need to be when you play KC. Their, their first scoring drive was only two plays for 75 yards because that was the big chase touchdown for 75 whenever um, they were down 14 nothing, And then Damian Williams came back and scored. It was 21-7. And then Cincinnati got into their offense. They were in rhythm. They had two different drives, scoring drives that ended in touchdowns that were nine plays, eating time off the clock. And then they had an 11-play drive that ended in a touchdown late in the fourth quarter that benefited them. So I think all of those things have to repeat itself. And the one thing that they've got to have is Mixon has to be more of a factor against this Kansas City front. And I'll even, I'll even say if he's just what he was against the Titans, that's getting them in the end zone, and it's not all on Burrow. But he's got to be better than what he was against KC where he only had like 40 yards rushing. Burrow was 30 of 39 for 449 yards and was awesome. Four touchdown passes. I mean, he was spinning it. I think they can do it again. But I think there there has to be a version of a run game for Cincy to be able to stick with them at Arrowhead. Mixon's the underrated weapon with this Cincy offense. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is going to be Burrow, Chase, Boyd, Higgins. To me, Mixon is a huge key, especially if they're going to get actual drives going, which they're going to have to have against this Kansas City offense to keep them off the field a little bit. I, I, I'm with you, Hutton. I think this is a big one. Uh, for Cincinnati on, on Sunday. Chiefs only had 31 sacks. It's not a terrible number, but it's not a great number. They, they don't have the pass rush that the Titans do. So can they abuse a bad offensive line? Or Cincinnati all of a sudden bolstered now, like, hey, we survived the worst pass rush we're going to see. We can, we can, is, we can do he better. He is aggressive. Here, scheming He's aggressive. Up. So can he play conservative defense? You know, can he, can he take a step back and not press the issue against Burrow and – you know, pick a pass off instead of trying to blitz him and you get man coverage somewhere. Um, interesting matchup there. I, I'm not riding off Cincy. I'm not picking him to win yet. 
I'm, I'm just not riding off Cincy uh, in this game like many people are. I think America is. I mean, I don't, and I don't think, uh, Chad, we said last week, universally Cincinnati was the team America was rooting for. Uh, I, I don't think they have that anymore because uh, people respect uh, Mahomes so, yeah, so that's, much yeah, that's, after it's last more about weekend. Mahomes. I think they still should be rooting for Cincinnati if you fall for the underdog. They're probably the biggest underdog this this weekend. I mean, San Francisco feels like the biggest underdog. San Francisco's got a six game winning streak against their opponent and this just weekend. beat L.A. <laughs> on the road in the last week of the regular season. I, I don't think you write off anyone that makes it at this point. No, you I mean, I, I, that's just foolish to me. They're there for a reason. I, I thought about this in the divisional round. The eight teams that were left, they're there for a reason. These are very good NFL teams. These are now great NFL teams left playing. There's a reason they're there. It's either because they're hot at the right time. It's because they have the talent that you know requires you to get to this point and have a chance to go to a Super Bowl. I think Kansas City wins the game. Some really good coach. But I'm not anywhere close to writing off Cincinnati in this story and the way they've been playing. Absolutely not. I, I think it's going to be a great game. And two seven-point spreads, right? At least seven points uh, from what I saw yesterday when I was giving my first glance to FanDuel. Um, and then in the NFC matchup, which is the second game on Sunday – You've got L.A. against San Fran, and San Francisco won both matchups this year. The second one was in the final week of the season in overtime, and the only reason L.A. is hosting this game is because Arizona lost at home to Seattle. Uh, had it been flipped, well, it, they'd still be hosting uh, if you still buy out that, that they would go and, and win the matchups that they did, but Arizona would have been hosting their first-round game instead of vice versa. Um, here's, here's San Francisco... That is all about, it's more about the sum of their parts than it is any one individual. And the LA Rams, who are star studded and all in. And when I look at the matchup, Paul, I'm thinking, okay, we've seen Shanahan compose two game plans that even if, I mean, LA had a plan early in, in late in the year, uh, their final game of the season, where uh, they got up 17 nothing, something like that. And then San Fran came back. But it was a plan that allowed them to get off course and then get back on the road, and it worked. Can, can Shanahan find that third wrinkle, you know, that extra layer on top of what he's already done in this matchup in order to allow his run game to get going? Where they've, I mean, they, it, it, let, let's go back to the, an example of a wrinkle. Debo Samuel threw a touchdown pass against the Rams in the last week of the season. You know, the, and, and can they come up with something else that gets points on the board that allows them to keep the Rams' defense off balance? Yeah, I, I'm tempted to say yes. I mean, I think Shanahan is a find-a-way guy. He's found a way six times in a row against the, the Rams. I know the teams aren't the same construct for, for all of that, uh, but the, the Rams have been a, a good team for a while now, and San Francisco two years ago was really injured and found a way, the most injured team in the league, right? Found yes. a way to beat them twice. I don't know at what point in the season those were, but San Francisco wasn't healthy very much last year. They, they might have played opening day, which would have been the healthiest San Francisco was. Um, you know, I don't doubt that Shanahan's going to have stuff that's going to uh, be different and help them win. And these two um, coaches know each other I, well. I know I'm tempting fate by daring to question the great playoff winner, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, when I say this. But I just think that even Kyle Shanahan, as great as he is, 
has played every trick he possibly can to get to this point. And eventually, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to cost you. I, I and you're not going to have enough to beat this Rams team on the road in the NFC Championship. I say this as a credit to Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo for masking things enough to get to this point and finding ways, like Hutton brought up the Debo Samuel touchdown pass. Jawan Jennings was huge in the last matchup on third down with these two, finding different avenues to get production. But even Kyle Shanahan eventually runs out of tricks. And Jimmy Garoppolo being your quarterback and this San Francisco offense is going to cost you. I think it's this week. I don't, I'm all in on the Rams, but I don't think we're going to look at the end of this game and go, oh, Shanahan just ran out of stuff. Couldn't, well, couldn't I, figure I, out I a think, way. I think that it was we just witnessed the last magic act at Lambeau is what I'm saying. Not that he's going to have a bad plan or they're not going to do something in this game that's going to knock the Rams off balance or get something done. It's just not going to be enough. And especially Samuel, the way the Rams have played the past couple of weeks. Debo Samuel will be um, he'll be on the injury report probably this week. He's got a, a bruise on his leg, on his knee or in his thigh. Took a helmet uh, and limped off the field late in that game. He, Shanahan says he's fine. The injury to watch is Trent Williams at left tackle, who's got an ankle issue uh, off of the game in Green Bay. So, you know, that's question number two. How healthy is are the 49ers, uh, especially up front, and then, you know, Chad, to your point on on um, Garoppolo, I'll flip it and say, which Matthew Stafford shows up? The guy who's not turning the football over? The guy who threw nine picks, um, or what was it, 11 picks over the final nine weeks of the season? And yeah, four pick sixes this year. He's been better in the playoffs so far, but you're right. I mean, the, the bad Matthew Stafford could show up at any point, and then San Francisco could go to a second Super Bowl in three weeks. And also, years. with that Debo Samuel, yeah, second in three years, with that Debo Samuel injury, you know how we know exactly what happened? Because Kyle Shanahan stood up there and started his press conference by saying, all right, let's go through this, guys. Debo Samuel took a helmet on the knee. Uh, he's a little banged up, but should be ready to go. He detailed every yeah, injury, it where it happened, exactly what happened. And then he went into talking about the game and getting back to his work. He can never win. So refreshing. Having so done refreshing. that, we could never win. Trent Williams, by the way, m- missed the game against the Rams in Week 18. And they had a backup lineman that started in his place. So they've done this before, but he's one of the best. He's one of the very best in the game. And uh, he plays a crucial factor in this instead of a second-year offensive lineman starting in his place. Um, there you go. A-, a couple of storylines to follow this week to set you up for kickoff this Sunday. And uh, speaking of some headlines, we get into that with Dan Dockich of Don't At Me on the Outkick Network. He joins us each and every Wednesday. January. And he joins us in five minutes across the Outkick Network. Dan Dockich with us. You can watch him each and every morning across the Outkick Network. Don't At Me with Dan Dockich, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern. 8 to 10 Central, and there's the man. Dan Dockage with us on Outkick 360. Dan, how are you? No reason to at me. Dude. Just sit back, <laughs> let it wash over you. That's all. Dude, we Don't talked to you me. about this a while ago. You went through this thing where you're starting to dress up nicely and everything. Now you come on our show, on our real estate. You, you got a hat <laughs> on, and, and you got this non-functional background. I mean – Dress like you're going to church or something. What what is this? We got two lights and a railing, and it looks like you're you might as well be in a street corner. 
hold on a second. You you must hang in some pretty cool street corners because this place is <laughs> yeah. cool. Yeah, that's my, glorious. I have my background on. I don't know. The camera doesn't show it. I, I forgot I had yeah. my uh, succession hat on. It's so. funny how it shows it in the morning when you're doing your own show. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I asked your boy Dylan, figure it out. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, I don't know. But, uh, hey, uh, are the Colts in the Super Bowl yet, or did I get that one wrong? Dana, Is Danny uh, Hill the most valuable player, or did I get that one yeah, wrong? Yeah, you got those wrong. Uh, did that Did that match go over uh, 35 games or no? That, yeah, I got did? those right. You got that one right? We, could, we couldn't find yeah. it. It wasn't available on FanDuel. We looked everywhere yeah. for your tennis match. We were going to put our, our full salaries and on we that. We couldn't find it. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, I got one to make up for it. I got tonight, I got West Virginia minus two at home against Oklahoma. Todd Frazier, the Todd father, and I are on this one big. I may be door dashing tomorrow morning instead <laughs> of doing the show, but that's all right. All right, I'm getting I'm on ready. it. I'm getting on it. So, uh, Get on it, big boy. So, Get Dan, uh, I think Chris Mack will probably be able to hang out some pretty nice street corners. Chris Mack's uh, going to be his up. next guest of the fired coaches. Yeah. Urban Meyer and then Chris Mack. Uh, yeah, you just line them up because uh, I, I see that I think it was Tim Sullivan, a, a columnist in Louisville, saying he's putting the over-under at $4 million of the $12 million that he's going to get in a buyout. Chris Mack could also go the old Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee route and fight for every last dollar uh, in the buyout. Um, what a crazy story, though, Dan, where you got a head coach recording an assistant coach who's extorting him when he's getting fired, but in doing so, it's self-incriminating because he's talking about violations within the program, and now he's going to get fired, let's face it, because they're not winning enough games, though, this year. You know what even makes it uh, more strange is that Chris and Dino Gaudio, the coach, are great friends, or they were great friends. I mean, Dino, I've known Dino 100 years, and i got to tell you, what Dino did was completely out of character, and I'm talking about to anybody that knew him. He was the assistant that went in when he was going to be fired and extorted Chris. I've known Chris since he was a high school player in Cincinnati, and I, I'm stunned first by the Gaudio thing, but I'm stunned this didn't work out at uh, Louisville. You know, I you never know what's in the background. Louisville, obviously, going back to before, I'd be surprised at any major coach, you know, other than maybe somebody at Indiana, Kentucky, Kansas, you know, that kind of thing. It's a great job. Big-time facility, big-time support. It is the show. Uh, you just don't get that much anymore. You know, even, you know, it's Tennessee, great program, but football rules it. You just name it. There's very few basketball first places. And I, I'm not surprised at all that Bruce. Bruce coached down there. He's southern Indiana. That's over a little bit on the uh, western side. But, uh, you know, I think um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me any name, not Hubert Davis, who's an alum, not Mike Woodson, maybe not Juwan Howard, you know, that kind of thing. But, you told me any name. If you told me Rick Pitino, I might be a little surprised, but that's a big-time job. Memphis is a basketball-first job. Uh, yeah. Penny Hardaway knows that. Penny Hardaway looked like a fool uh, when he went off on reporters after the game and came back, and I know he kind of apologized, explained it the next day, but um, what do you make of what's happening with Memphis and what's gone down now? We're looking, Dan, at four years and no NCAA tournament appearances with all of these recruits at Memphis, what's going on? I got hate mail. <clears throat> I got threats from Memphis people. I went on one of the stations there and basically said, look, uh, you fired a really good man. You fired Cubby Smith. I'm a big Tubby Smith fan, I, and, and more so as a human than as a coach. 
But they hired Penny Hardaway, and I'm watching, and I, and I always go by this, fellas. I, I go by who would I follow, you know, and I watch some of these coaches, and I, and I saw a picture of Penny Hardaway and Mike Miller, and it looked to me like two little kids. Mike Miller was his assistant. looked like two little kids playing coach. And I said it on a broadcast, and I mean, I have been vilified. I mean, I'm talking about threats um, by the by Memphis people, the media there. Every time they win a game, you know, they kill me. But look, it's not it's not fair uh, to kids to bring in a coach because he's the name in the community and coaching college basketball for great players. Penny Hardaway, make no mistake, great player is difficult, you know. Patrick Ewing told me one time, he goes, Dan, I, I haven't gotten one single player at Georgetown because I'm Patrick Ewing. I got a lot of dads and moms that think I'm great. Knicks fans, you know, uh, you got to really know your way around it. Memphis has all the advantages. Memphis has every advantage that you want. I mean, again, same thing as Louisville with a better recruiting base. But I got to tell you, I watched Penn Hardaway's team and early in the season, they're pretty good. I mean, they defend. But as you go along and you're so lax with kids and you handle it like a glorified AAU program, uh, it just doesn't work in college. And Hardaway, I said Tim Jankovic, who's the head coach at SMU, he did that after Jankovic and SMU beat him. I said, Jank, I said, you made a grown-ass Hall of Fame basketball player cry. That's how good your team is, man. You made Penny Hardaway cry. You know, apology – don't apologize. You believed what you were saying. There is no excuse of being young. You know, the word on the street, FedEx, the NIL, you know what? They paid a lot of money to get these kids there. Legally, I'm not saying illegally. Illegally, the NIL is what it is. We've seen it in football with Texas A&M. But I got to tell you, that's an unorganized mess. They came back and got a win against Tulsa. We'll see what happens. But it's exactly who myself, and a lot of guys that have been involved in college basketball, black and white, uh, said. And we got killed in an article by uh, a guy named Parrish, who's a CBS sports writer and a uh, sports anchor down there. Gary well, Parrish. You know, yeah, Gary. You know, he, he's writing after they had a big recruiting class. This is exactly who we knew Penny Hardaway was. We knew the rest of the country didn't. My ass. I knew <laughs> That thing with the number one recruiting class, James Wiseman, he ended up getting suspended. Hardaway had a problem. You got to be able to coach in college basketball. He hasn't shown the ability to. I hope it works out for him, but right now it has. Well, just to take a layer or two deeper there, Dan, because I, I'm one that is surprised that he's not having success because we, Chad and I would call the state championship games for Memphis East when he's the head coach there. And uh, James Wiseman's playing high school ball in Nashville, transfers to Memphis to play with him, and they go win a state title. And so we've seen it up close, not as up close as living there, but I understand where they're coming from on expectations. My question would be if it translates for Team Penny and it translates in high school from him coaching and he's getting the players and the talent because they all followed him to Memphis and really the, the, the recruiting issues had to do with Lomax living with him during high school and he's at Wichita State. and I mean, we know the story. Yeah. Why is it not translating at the college level if all these guys are one and done anyway? Well, it's just a really different deal at a place like Memphis um, and a place like Indiana, a place where basketball is king. I, I said this, the hardest thing, the best thing Bob Knight did as a basketball coach at Indiana, number one was preparation. Number two was getting you to 
play after a big win and shut all the noise out. And that didn't matter if it was me coming in there as an Indiana kid or Isaiah Thomas coming in there as the number one recruit in the country. It didn't matter. And when you don't do that, guess what? In modern college basketball, the other guys are older. The other guys have been through it. The other guys uh, have done the things that young kids are learning to do. Now, young kids win in college basketball when they're good enough. But if they're not good enough, they're not disciplined enough. I don't give a damn who you are. You know, SMU is going to beat you. You know, unless you got a special, special, special talent. And when I see this Bates kid who, look, he got, man, Nobody was a higher-ranked high school kid than him. First time I saw him, I said, well, that's not LeBron James. And, I mean, who are you comparing guys to? If you're the number one player in a high school class, you need to be Sean Kemp. You need to be LeBron James. You need to be Carmelo Anthony. These guys aren't that. I mean, I get it. They're ranked high. I get it. They're people that, you know, okay, we like them. They're really good. But it's I, – I said this going in. I have saw a couple of those kids, and they're among the most overrated kids that I saw, particularly the Bates kid. And when you think about that kid – and this isn't his fault. It's not his fault. I mean, hell, his dad set up his own school in Ypsilanti, Michigan, the base academy. Kid didn't even have to do anything difficult. Now he gets in college. He is playing against 22-year-old men. He is playing against guys in their fifth year. They don't give a damn about this kid. They're bigger. They're stronger. This kid isn't physically or mentally tough enough to handle it, and you struggle. Does that mean they're going to continue struggling the rest of the year? I don't know. But I know this everybody's gunning for you when you are the team that's number one in the country. When you're supposed to, as the Bates kid is, supposed to go to the NBA and be the first pick, second pick, fifth pick, whatever. Hey, and when you're playing against older guys, you are going to get your ass kicked. So Hardaway was right in a little bit when he said, hey, we're playing young guys against older guys. He's right about that. But you know what? In modern college basketball, it ain't like when Patrick Ewing stayed four years or Calvert Chaney stayed four years or Jimmy Jackson stayed three years, the big dog stayed three years. It ain't like that anymore. You got to win with younger guys. And when you're not disciplined and when you don't have a real handle on their emotions, you're going to get your ass beat. Don't at me with Dan Dockett. You could uh, watch that every morning, each weekday, right here on the Outkick Network, 9 to 11 Eastern. With what Patrick Mahomes just did in 13 seconds, conventional wisdom has always been you can't give a good quarterback much time. Did we just see it evolve to you can't give him any time? And it's not just Mahomes. I mean, Josh Allen in that game, if he had 13 seconds, he might have done the same thing. Uh, Yeah, I think it's that. And I think, Paul, I mean, I think you and I talked about it the other day. I mean, first – Urban actually talked about it. I was surprised when I had him on my show. He was talking about the differences in game management, and he admitted he didn't handle it well. I mean, you think about, you know, the things you've got to manage. One is the squib kick. Number two, why aren't you on the line? Why aren't you pressuring guys? Why are you letting Mahomes get himself in rhythm where he's hitting the two best targets that he has? I'll be honest with you. You know, I know that Buffalo had a top-ranked defense, but when you look at the quarterbacks at Buffalo beat, it isn't really all that impressive. And I would be hostile, frankly, if I let the defense to Leslie Frazier. I'd be hostile to Leslie Frazier. I mean, I'd be hostile myself for letting Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator of the Bills, do what they did. I'd be I was screaming at my TV, you got a squib kick, you know, because I want time off the clock with Patrick Mahomes not out there. I want time off the clock without Josh Allen out there. You know, I think and we're going to probably get to the point where we want time off the clock uh, with with Joe Burrow out there. You know, our guy, Carson Wentz, your guy, Tannehill, it's a little bit different deal. But 
I'll tell you something else. We saw here in Indy, I think it was in 16, opening day, we saw Matthew Stafford do exactly to the Colts what he just did last week. 35 seconds on the clock, took them down the field, got themselves a win. I mean, look, when you when you are that good in this modern football, particularly with timeouts, like, man, I, hey, look, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how blanked off I would have been if I left all the defensive calls to my defensive coach, given, given that kind of room to receivers. So I'm watching college basketball last night, Dan, and watching Conzo Martin in Missouri with a chance Ooh. to knock off Auburn. Ooh. And they've got it right where they need. Number one Auburn coming into Missouri. Missouri's not very good. And they hit a three to make it 55-54. 35 seconds left. 30-second shot clock, obviously. Conzo Martin does not foul and yeah. lets them take it all the way down to five where a simple tip up in the air on the offensive rebound attempt ends the game with no chance to win it for Missouri. Can can you help explain to me how that's not just a, an egregious coaching error that is unforgivable in that moment when you're going back to the locker room and talking to your team? Yeah, you know, one of the things that Bear Bryant always said is, I don't want to be the reason my team loses. You know, they asked him, what do you do on Saturday? And he said, all I do is fret. You know, look, here's the deal. I'll give you two sides of it. Number one, it's funny It's funny that happened last night because my wife and I were watching another game. I think it was the Illinois game, and we were talking about the exact same thing, and she asked me, what do you do? I said, look, I'm not letting uh, – 10 seconds, I'll play it out. Eight seconds, I'll think about it. Anything other than that, from the Auburn side, here's what was really smart. They didn't settle, and you see this all the time with kids, guys dribbling the ball on top. He ends up, he's looking at the clock, five, four, three, two on the shot clock. He jacks up a shot, puts his hands in his pockets from about 25 feet, long rebound, boom, we're out. Bruce Pearl teaches to drive the ball at the end of the possession, and everybody on the weak side rotate back. And they did a really good job. They drove it, got to about 12 feet, shot it to where it's not going to be a long rebound. But back to Martin, it's inexcusable. Um, it's inexcusable with five seconds on the clock. You just cannot do that. Look, athletes can take a long rebound or a rebound in the lane and get down the court in five seconds. There's no question about it. But you are leaving yourself, I think, a one in a hundred chance, not a one in a hundred, let's say a one in 50 chance. You got a foul. It's a one point game. So when you foul, no matter what, you're going to have the opportunity with the basketball to tie or make the other team foul you. I'm fouling every single time. I did foul every single time. There's no question in my mind with five seconds I'm fouling every single time. And your guys' point is right. you got to go in that locker room. And let me tell you who the smartest people are that you face. It's not us in the media. It's not, it's not the fans. It's the players. They know. And I'm telling you, walking in there, knowing you did something to cost your team is the worst feeling you can possibly have. Absolutely, you're right. I'll give Auburn some credit, too. As you watch college basketball from now until the end of the season, watch how many teams in that situation, number one, everybody's going to foul now. But number two, let's say there's a 10-second, 8-second difference and they don't foul. Watch how many teams in Auburn's position take up a nonsensical long jump shot and it's a long rebound. I always told my players, look, if you don't have a drive, if you don't have a shot, just throw the damn ball up in the air. A shot clock violation is fine. It beats the hell out of a long rebound. 
because a player off of a long rebound, getting momentum, getting it just inside the free throw line, can get down the court in two to three seconds and lay it in. Auburn did it right. Missouri did it wrong. Basketball favors the team that makes the fewest mistakes, and Missouri made a – they may have still lost, but they made themselves a hell of a mistake last night. How often did you get that shot clock violation scenario? You know, you get it a lot over the course of a career, but the problem is kids want to jack up the shot, Paul. I'm telling you, watch it. Even at the end, you know, when during the middle of a game, a kid doesn't have anything, you got nothing, a kid will jack up a shot from 25, you know, 22 feet, whatever, long rebound, and watch what happens. There's two things in basketball that people don't know lead to transition on the other way. That's one of them. The other is when you try to lob a pass and you lob it short and the defense gets it, I'm telling you, boom, it's down the other way. With a lob pass, you either lob it where only your guy gets it or you lob it and it's out of bounds. No short lobs, no long jacked up threes at the end of shot clocks. It happens all the time. And I'm telling you, I don't know, 67%, 75% of the time it ends in transition the other way and you foul or give up a bucket. Dan, final minute here, uh, and I would highly recommend everybody going back to Monday's show, watching the, the Urban Meyer chat. You know him well. Um, what'd you learn about Urban Meyer on Monday's chat with him? Uh, he's hurting. You know, uh, he's hurting. You know, as a friend, um, I, I, I talking to him and being at his house, you know, right after it happened, you know, he's hurting. And I, the, the, the deal with him not kicking the kicker, he had told me that. The deal with him, uh, dying after a loss. We've talked about that our whole lives. We talked about that as young coaches. I remember having a conversation about, hey, Dan, how do you handle losing? I go, look, I can't sleep. Uh, I wake up at 3 in the morning. I'm done. I'm up. It's over. Um, but it, it, my friend's still hurting. You know, pride is hurting. He knows, I think, that he's got a great life. He's got a great life ahead of him. But you know what? I, I, I could tell he's hurting. And I did tell him after, and I go, look, because I know a few of the stories about how the hiring process is for assistance. I said, if you ever really want to open it up, I go, make sure I'm on the other side of the mic. I don't have to be the only guy, but I want to be there because there's a lot of backstory there. But that's what, you know what, I hadn't, I talked to him on the phone once or twice since I was at his house a few Fridays ago, maybe a month ago now. But I could tell my friend's still hurting, and I, and I hate that for him. He was in the chat. That, that's what I uh, loved about the the interview and just the discussion is he when he joined the show he he was open for anything you were going to ask, which was good. Yeah. I mean that was really good. Yeah, and you know, um, I I know well enough, and you guys do too. You know well enough when you're wasting your time with certain things. But he was very open. He, I thought he was very honest. I thought he was very insightful in terms of uh, watching football, Tom Brady, those kind of things, and. You know, uh, for people that don't like them, you're, you're not going to like them. For people that do like them, you're, you're going to like them. I mean, look, let's be honest. We, we all think that we're, you know, I've learned, and I'm sure you guys have, you're not changing people's impressions. Uh, I'm just glad that he did it. Obviously, he did it to help me, which it did. Uh, he was very smart because he knows that, you know, even though we were a little bit guarded, it still made the New York Post. It still was on Yahoo Sports. It still was in S Sports Illustrated USA Today. He's smart enough to know that and smart enough to be careful, but I thought he was great. You say he's giving you a boost. You can't go higher than number one, Dan. Dan Dockage, number one oh, in the geez. country. Number one oh. in the country. 
uh, the new poll comes out. Yeah, I, know. Two I weeks. don't know when it comes out, but uh, it's coming Super out. Bowl. I'm just glad you guys aren't a part of it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Super Bowl week. It's January every month of the year. Is? They're going to be filling a vacuum over there. January. Yeah. You can celebrate with Dan Dockage on Don't At Me each morning, 9 to 11 Eastern. Dan, thank you as always, man. Thanks, bud. You guys are the best. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Dan. Thank Everybody's the best. Dan Dockage is excellent. Excellent. You can check him out each morning. Right here on the Outkick Network. Coming Our fastest up, growing segment. Coming up, we've got uh, a discussion about a coaching tree that not many reference anymore. It's all about uh, Belichick, and we look elsewhere to you know possibly McVeigh. Well, it goes a little bit deeper than that. Withrow had a great point earlier this week. We bring it to the show next on Outkick 360.